All right, here we are. It is the day, the day for the U.S. election. And in the hours ahead, we're all going to be like sitting there comfortably watching, listening, making our own calculations about what's going to happen in the U.S. presidential race and a lot of other races as well that are also critical to the way this next U.S. government will perform. So on this early edition, early edition of The Race Next Door, Inside the Bridge Daily, the podcast within a podcast, we're going to try and try and set you up for uh, the evening, give you some things that you might want to think about based on what we're thinking about in terms of how we're going to watch this evening unfold. So, of course, Bruce Anderson is in Ottawa. I'm here in Stratford, Ontario. And uh, we're going to get at this in just a minute because I think I should also say at this point, because this has been fun for the last couple of months uh, that we've been doing uh, the race next door. And I think I've mentioned this before, but I'll mention it again. This was Bruce's idea. He came to me in the summer and he said, you know what, we should try something because, you know, you've been focused, rightly so, on COVID ever since mid-March. But this is an opportunity because this is a great story and there are things we can talk about and there are guests we can have and blah, 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 all that. And, uh, and he was right. And it's proved, proved incredibly popular. I mean, some of the biggest podcasts uh, that we've had since I started this podcast a year ago have been a result of the race next door. Last night, you know, it was the fastest growing podcast we've had all along, which when was when Mark uh, Critch joined us. And if you haven't heard it, you should listen to it because it's it's not only great entertainment, it's it's also pretty good insight. Uh, Brian Mulrooney last Friday night, huge numbers, still growing. People listening to that, and and I think, and Bruce, you probably agree. A lot of people saw and heard a different kind of Brian Mulrooney than they're kind of used to. I mean, he was very laid back. Uh, he was insightful. He was anecdotal. He was all those things. There are a lot of people who have mixed feelings about Mulroney, uh, and understandably so from uh, back in the 80s. Um, but even they were writing in saying, hey, look, you know, I don't like the guy, but he was great, and I learned a lot from listening to him. And that's good. That's what we're trying to accomplish through this podcast. And um, But I want you to know that full credit goes to Bruce for the idea. And as a result, we're going to try and think of ways to keep this going. I mean, obviously, the race next door is going to be over at some point in these next days. Um, There's the race here, uh, which is always good food for fodder, and uh, I'm sure we'll do it. But Bruce, once again, you know, full credit to you. Thank you for uh, everything you did and bringing this idea forward. Well, Peter, it's been a lot of fun to have this conversation. And I believe everything you say about the way in which our guests uh, feel about the interaction. It's laid back. They have a chance to be reflective. They're not on expecting us to kind of attack them or grill them. That's not really what this is for. That's what kind of regular journalism is for. This is really about having a conversation. And I think people who come on and joined us have enjoyed it, have said some things that maybe we weren't really expecting them to say. And and I think listeners are, are hearing those things and, and hopefully enjoying the podcast. And certainly the numbers suggest that that's the case. So um, thanks for agreeing to do it. Uh, we've known each other a long time. We've talked about politics and everything else for years and years and years. And it's the first time we've ever done it this way. 
and uh, look forward to finding a way to keep uh, keep this up in the future as well. And I'm sure we will be able to find that way. Uh, once we, once we bury this story, but it may take a while yet. So, uh, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about how we're going to, uh, spend our evenings here. And I kind of break it down into sort of how you're going to watch, who you're going to watch and what you're going to watch for. So let's start with the, how, how you're going to watch. And I don't mean, I don't need to know what kind of chair you're sitting in, but it, like in, in terms of. <laughs> How you're going to watch in terms of, uh, you know, networks, and then we'll get to who in terms of personalities. But how are you going to watch? Well, I think the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to have two screens. I'm going to have a TV screen, and I'm going to have a laptop or an iPad uh, near me so that I can keep an eye on the broadcast uh, portion of the night, and also keep an eye on a couple of sites that are going to contain a lot of data that I'm going to want to look at. Uh, just to kind of nurture my curiosity and, and obviously to hopefully ease some of the anxiety that, that I'm feeling about how uncertain this outcome is. Even though I know I said I think the outcome is fairly certain. You're pretty ago. much on the record, I, buddy. You're not going to be able to get, get out of that. I got all the tapes here. Anyway, yeah, go ahead. You're not breathing if you're not nervous today. So I am nervous today, and I'm going to be nervous all day. And, and uh, there's going to be some whiskey or some champagne nearby, depending on how the night goes. <laughs> but I'm gonna, uh, in terms of the sites that I'm going to use in the, in the broadcast outlet, um, for TV, it'll be uh, CNN and MSNBC, and mostly CNN. I think that they've got a, a really great team, a seasoned team. They know how to use data a lot. Uh, they do that to some degree at MSNBC, uh, but MSNBC is more about the team and the personalities that they interview, I think, and a little bit less about the data. So I'll be kind of 75% CNN, 25% MSNBC. And in terms of the websites that I'm going to use, I'll be using CNN's Election Center, which um, if our listeners are interested, has a really good way of presenting a lot of information about key races and also the New York Times. Now, you may remember, Peter, in the last uh, presidential election, the New York Times had this controversial needle, and they said that they're going to bring the needle back. And that, but they said that today and they were sheepish about it. They said, there's a lot of people who didn't like the needle. And now the needle, just so we remember, is a way in which they presented the probability of a certain outcome. And as I remember, at nine o'clock on election night in 2016, they said it was 95% sure that Hillary Clinton was going to win. And within about 20 minutes, they said it was almost like 0% sure that she was going to win, which makes people wonder legitimately about these probability indicators. So I'm not happy the needle's back, but I am going to use their site because they have a lot of great information there, and I think they learned some important lessons. All right, I'm going to... Uh, what about you? I'm going to plant the flag here a little bit, first of all. I mean, obviously, I you know I, I anchored uh, CBC coverage of U.S. elections, I think, every one since... 84 when Reagan um, won re-election and um, now you know I'm I'm not naive I I appreciate that it's a tougher job for Canadian uh, networks and radio stations and websites to compete on a U.S. scale they don't have the resources they don't have the and I don't mean money I mean the, the access to the uh, uh, computer data that uh, that the uh, American networks obviously have in conjunction with each other by the way um, so 
but what they do have access to if they do their coverage right is great talkers. And on a night like this, that's what you depend on. You depend on the quality of uh, your journalists and your guests to try and help with the unfolding story. Um, I, I remember the last time round we had a really good uh, panel um, uh, of whom the, the 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 panelists became kind of stars, and they're now on now they're not on on many of the American networks uh, these days, giving their uh, commentary after you know, we, we kind of conditioned them, got them ready for the, for the big leagues, if you want, in terms of, of U.S. coverage in the U.S. Um, so, there, you know, you got, you got to look around, and it's worth dropping in every once in a while because obviously this election is going to have an impact on Canada, and you're not going to hear that talked about anywhere in terms of, the, of U.S. coverage. Having said that, and, and, and I believe that, and I think it's important that we as Canadians do drop in on occasion uh, you know, if you get bored of what you're watching or, or, or you find it's not stimulating or informative enough, you know, drop in. It's not just the CBC. CTV will do a good job. Global, I'm sure, is, is going to uh, try as well, but it's worth patching into. However, most of my time, I am sure, for the first time since 84, will be spent watching um, American networks. And I'm kind of like you. I mean, my... My deep traditions go back to the major networks like CBS and NBC, uh, but some of the personalities on those networks are not are not uh, don't attract me in the way past um, analysts and journalists uh, did on those networks. So you know, I, I'm like you. It'll probably be, be MSNBC and CNN and back and forth uh, on those, and I will dip in on occasion to Fox as well. And, and I say that for a reason, because Fox uh, election night coverage is not dominated by its wacko opinion journalists. It's actually dominated by its journalist journalists. And you can have your arguments about Fox News and, and, and their important arguments to be, uh, to be having. But there are also some good journalists there. Um, and it'll be interesting to see their take early in, you know, and I think of Chris Wallace and and others, and it'll be interesting to see how, how they handle this story tonight. But mainly, I, like you, it'll it'll be MSNBC and CNN. Okay, so we haven't talked about any people in particular. So if you're talking about who to watch in terms of individuals, who are you watching? You know, I think there's two kinds of people that I like to hear on a night like this. One are the folks who can give me the rational, uh, very focused on what are they seeing in the numbers? What does their reporting tell them from the people that they're talking with who are working in the campaign? And the other is the emotional. What are the people that I want to hear just because it's going to make me feel a certain way, a certain kind of reaction at an emotional level? And so for the, the rational, uh, the people that I really like are, um, well, as anchors, I like Anderson Cooper. I like Jake Tapper. Uh, I'll watch uh, Nicole Wallace anytime anchoring a, a program about politics. I think she's a, a rising star in, in the U.S. Uh, uh, political journalism kind of field. Um, for reporting, I like uh, people like Caitlin Collins a lot. I think that there's, in the last two election cycles in particular, we've seen 
a growing number of really top-notch professional women journalists who've uh, who've driven great coverage, who really know the craft. Uh, they stick to in our reporting. This is what we hear. New York Times has has a good number of those as well, uh, not just women, but obviously men as well. So the New York Times reporters, I probably won't see that much unless they're on the panels, but um, I'll be looking for the Caitlin Collinses, the Brianna Keelers. Um, and the other aspect of the rational coverage is there, there are three individuals who really look at the data in a microscopic way and try to extract trends and report them to us in ways that really are hard for other people to do. John King on CNN, Harry Enton on CNN, and Steve Kornacki on MSNBC. All three are top flight. They've, they've covered the polls. They know the counties to watch. And they're going to be able to kind of give us a sense, especially in this really unusual race where we don't know whether the ballots that are being counted are the ones that were uh, cast today or cast today, but also cast earlier. And so helping us with that is going to be really important. And I have a lot of confidence in them. And then finally, for the emotional uh, thing that I'm looking for, and I'm obviously, I'm one of those 75% of Canadians who would not be a Trump voter tonight. Um, but I have been a progressive conservative in the past. I've worked for progressive conservative leaders and uh, I'm kind of in that center of the spectrum. Um, I really identify with people like Mike Murphy and Steve Schmidt and Rick Wilson and Nicole Wallace, uh, three of those have been involved in the Lincoln Project, who have a lot to say about what Trump has done to their party and what he's done to the view, you know, to the idea of conservatism. And um, they're also just super funny and uh, acerbic and articulate. Uh, and finally, on the Democrat side, I think David Axelrod is easily the best of a, a good field of democratic analysts and pundits who appear on these shows. And, and uh, I'll be very attentive to what he has to say tonight too. What yeah. about you? Who do you uh, like? I, who do you pay attention I, I, to? I like a lot of the, uh, of, of, of the same people. Um, you know, it's funny you mentioned David there at the end and, and he's, um, I, I was talking to him just the other day. He wanted to be on uh, the race next door and he probably will be in the, in, in the days ahead, but he's juggling so many things. He's got his own podcast. He's, you know, totally committed to CNN. He's doing all kinds of things for, for CNN and, uh, and good for them for using him because he is terrific, with terrific insight. And as partisan as he is, he's also pretty damn realistic. Um, you know, he, he, uh, you know, he, he calls it, the uh, the way he sees it, not necessarily the way he wants it to be. Uh, and, and that's what you're looking for on, on, on nights like this. Um, on the, um, on the others, um, I, you know, I love Steve Schmidt. I, you know, <laughs> I've never seen anybody like Steve Schmidt in, in our business, who you can say, Steve, give me two minutes on why Trump is a dick. <laughs> he'll, he'll give you bang two minutes. He won't pause. He won't stumble. It'll just come out like he, he'd written it. Um, and on anybody else too. I mean, he, he's just as harsh on some of his own, uh, you know, colleagues in the, uh, from the past in terms of the Republican side. You know, I mean, he's a, a former Republican. But he's he's, really he's at least not Trump. a, a Trumper. That's for sure. He, he hates Trump. He's a poet Trump. when it comes to Trump. I just, I love it. And well. You know, and I think part of it is because he was so close with John McCain and he cannot stomach the fact 
that Trump said the things he said about uh, a guy who he clearly loved. Um, beyond that, uh, in terms of people, um, you know, Brian Williams is a, is a friend of mine who's kind of the main anchor on the uh, MSNBC side, although he's been, in a way, he's been kind of eclipsed in, in this election by, by, the, uh, by the three uh, really top-notch female commentators, and Nicole Wallace, who I think is great, former Republican, um, hard-hitting, smart, really smart. Um, the other two, you know, I, I go back and forth on. <laughs> the other two women who are with uh, Nicole, I, I find them almost too emotional. You're looking for emotion, and I, I get it on like, like this, but I find them at times like kind of too emotional to the point that it kind of warps their 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 analysis um the uh, uh you know uh, beyond that it, it it really is the commentators who has the best ones you talk about the new crop of young journalists who've come out in the states and there there are some who are in you know at, at times aligned with um uh, the uh, those two networks that we're going to probably spend most of our time watching cnn and msnbc um Alexi McCann, the Axios group, I think is, you know, they got a real stable, great young journalist. Uh, Alexi McCammon, who, who is often on MSNBC, she's still in her 20s. She talks like she's in her 40s, like she has a great grasp of the strategic operation in, in politics. Jonathan Swan, also from Axios. Jonathan Swan, yeah. Really great, good. Great job. And, you know, yeah. I, I, you wonder how long it's going to be before somebody snaps them up, you know, like full time in, in one of the networks because they're good, solid journalists. So there, uh, there, listen, there are lots of smart people um, uh, who will be uh, on television tonight and will be available online uh, in terms of, uh, you know, using your phone to watch the story unfold. Uh, the thing about election nights, and let me tell you that as somebody who's done enough of them, Election nights are the biggest program in a television cycle. You know, they come every four years in this country too, unless, you know, the minority situation. And careers can be made or broken on election night. <laughs> I'm telling you. Uh, right. You know, right. you, you, you can stumble or give bad analysis or make some stupid mistake. And people will never forget it because it is the night that everybody's watching in some form or one way or another, they're watching one network or, or another network or whatever, and the story travels and it sticks with you forever. You know, um, you well, mentioned well, West Island vote. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I was right on that. The West Island vote. What are you talking about? He's talking about the 95 referendum when it, uh, it looked like the, um, uh, the Parti Quebecois side was going to win that referendum for a good chunk of the early part of the evening and but what I knew was that the vote from the from the West Island Montreal, which was heavily on the Federalist side, had not been. It may well have been counted, but it wasn't in yet. And so the things were going to change. And then suddenly they did uh, start to uh, change. Jason Moskowitz and myself were both uh, sitting there talking about that fact of the the West Island vote. So anyway, when it did come in. The Federalist side just eked ahead. You mentioned I'll just do one other person. It's it's kind of anecdotal, really. Is John King? Um, John King and Steve Kornacki, especially, 
these two guys have made a fine art out of understanding the country and the way it breaks down um, into red and blue states and red and blue counties and how that can change on on a night like this. I remember John King when I was I, I was based in Washington for much of kind of 1986 and 1987, uh, covered Iran-Contra and various other things in the Reagan government um, as a correspondent in Washington. And I remember uh, meeting John King a number of times. He's the, the first thing that strikes you about him, I mean, he's a, a powerful figure. He looks like a football player, like a, kind of a running back type guy, but he's, he's quite short, all right? Um, not that there's anything wrong with that. But he's quite short, so it's a, you, you, that's the thing about television. You sort of assume in your mind, and radio too, you kind of have a picture of the person, and then when you meet them, they're nothing at all like you thought they were going to be. But anyway, John in those days were still early days for CNN, and he was a Washington correspondent, and he was sort of um, you know, trying to find a groove for himself, a niche area, and this turned out to be it. And, and he's made a career out of being the guy who not only knows how to technically use the board they stick in front of him, but what it means. Um, here's a quick question for you. Why, why is it red? And, uh, you know, why are conservative colors in the States red and liberal colors are blue where everywhere else in the world, it's the opposite, including here in Canada. I don't know. I was going to try to figure that out at some point because I, I keep getting it reversed in my mind because you're absolutely right. We're so used to red meaning left of center and blue meaning right of center here. And it means exactly the opposite there. So I don't have the answer, but maybe I'll have the answer tomorrow. Or apparently, the it, apparently it started in 2000, which is, you know, recent, <laughs> really. It, it wasn't the case before. And it's suddenly it's now all about red states and blue states. But it is... It, it, I have to do the same thing. I have to keep <laughs> saying, wait a minute, this is the wrong way around. It's not right. Anyway, okay. So now the more the more interesting part. Well, it's all interesting. But, and I don't think we can go through everything here, but in terms of, especially if you're sitting down, you're watching, polls start closing at 7 o'clock, and there's some very interesting things happen almost right away. Um what are you going to be watching for specifically and maybe give a couple of examples? I don't want to hear the 16 things that Bruce Anderson's looking for, but the kind of things that, that uh, can help viewers who are, as they sit down, looking for an early indication based on something. Yeah, I think that there are three categories of things, and I'll keep it short. First of all, everybody says swing states, and we know that there's maybe up to eight. But uh, Florida, Georgia, and North Carolina, if Biden wins one of those states, he's probably going to win the presidency. So let's keep an eye on those. And the those all come out is, early too, right, Bruce? They're like, all they're come out early. In, That's in right. between 7 and 9 o'clock, you're going you're gonna to know. Florida's always tricky. We're gonna, it, it's always Yeah, tricky. that's right. That's right. We're going to hear from Michigan and Pennsylvania as well. But the thing about the Michigan and Pennsylvania votes are um, if they're not big Republican leads just because of the delay in counting the uh, early ballots, then that's a bad sign for Trump and a good sign for the Democrats. So it's going to be a little bit more confusing, Michigan and Pennsylvania, whereas Florida, Georgia, and North Carolina should be pretty clear indications early on of uh, of what kind of outcomes to expect. 
if Biden's ahead. If he's not ahead, uh, there's going to be a lot of anxiety and maybe it's going to go on for several days. Second thing is states, they're big, but the counties are actually where the action really gets measured. And it's why the Kornakis and the Entons and the Kings really matter. Erie County, Pennsylvania, Trump won it by 1.6%. It's a big county. There's a lot of people there. If he doesn't do well in that county, he's probably going to lose the state. Peach County, Georgia, Trump got 50.3% of the vote the last time. What's interesting about it, it's only 27,000 people, and it has tended to be a bellwether for how the state of Georgia is going overall. I think it's 50% white, 40, uh, 55% white, 45% uh, black. Um, so Peach County, Georgia, another one. Um, Tarrant County, Texas, which includes Fort Worth. Bush won it with 62%. Trump won it with 52%. Beto O'Rourke beat Ted Cruz in that county. So the demographics have been changing there. The flavoring of that county, which uh, uh, is a pretty big population county, uh, has been changing as well. And if Texas is going to move, Tarrant County is going to be one of those places that uh, causes it to move. And then last in Florida, there's Broward County. Uh, and really the question there is, will it be strong Biden as it has been strong Democrat? Will those uh, Cuban-American voters uh, kind of pull towards Trump a little bit? Uh, that'll be a bad sign if that happens for the Biden campaign. And then Duval County, which includes um, Jacksonville. 400,000 people in that county. Uh, Trump won it by 6,000 votes. So it could be a real important swing area for him. And then the last thing, the third thing is really the Senate races. Uh, a big question for a lot of people is if the Democrats win the White House but don't swing the Senate, we're going to have a lot of political friction and a lot more uh, division. Um, and, uh, and so there's a lot of people kind of wondering how those Senate races are going. And the ones to watch, I think, Colorado, Cory Gardner, Arizona, uh, Martha McSally, North Carolina, Tom Tillis, the two senators. Uh, from Georgia, Kelly Leffler and uh, David Perdue, uh, Maine Susan Collins, and Iowa Joni Ernst. There are more Republican Senate seats up for grabs this time, and there are more of them in jeopardy than the Republicans would have thought there would have been two years ago. So we'll see how those Senate seats go, but those are the ones that I'm watching, the counties that I'm watching, and the states that I'll be watching too. Man, you, what about you? you really did your homework. I, I'm very impressed. Um, there's a lot in there. And, and, you know, <laughs> I don't want to say that, oh, yeah, I feel exactly the same way as you, but uh, I do on a different level, okay? So here's the way I'll be looking at it, seeing as a lot comes out early. Uh, I'm not suggesting this is going to be settled early. It could be. Uh, but there is actually a lot of stuff to uh, sink your teeth into in those first, uh, first hour or two. I'll be looking a lot at Georgia because I think Georgia signals to us the way things could unfold uh, in a couple of different areas. Immediately to the south is Florida. Florida will be close. It always is close. It's rarely more than 100,000 votes separate the, the two parties, and the Republicans usually have the advantage uh, in Florida. Um, but watch the Gulf Coast, especially uh, in Florida, because when that went Trumpian last time, that was a game-set match against uh, Hillary Clinton. So watch that. Um, northwards from Georgia, you've got uh, North Carolina. 
Now, if Georgia looks like it's going to Biden, which will be a surprise, which will be an upset, um, it will. It could very well signal things happening in both Florida and North Carolina. And as Bruce said, if Biden wins one of those three, uh, that that could signal a really good night for Biden. But the other thing about it is a lot of those people, especially in Florida along the Gulf Coast, they come from the Rust Belt states. They've moved there and retired there from, you know, the Pennsylvanias and the Michigans and the Wisconsins, especially Wisconsin. So if if Biden is doing well in Georgia and as a result also in Florida, it could signal good things in those three Rust Belt states, two of whom which are already kind of assumed are going to go uh, to Biden, Wisconsin, Michigan, but um, Pennsylvania is still somewhat up in the air. But here's what else happens with Georgia. If Georgia's going Biden, then it's a good reason to be expecting something happening in Texas, as Bruce mentioned, and in Arizona. I mean, Georgia, depending on how it goes, and we'll see it fairly early, could signal a big night for Biden. Or it could signal hey, he didn't deliver in Georgia. And Trump could be the first good sign for Trump on the evening. So that's why I'm, that's why I'm kind of watching Georgia. Um, yeah. Okay, uh, last point. Because <laughs> people actually want to watch the show as opposed to just being told what, how to watch the show. Um, here's the important question. What are you going to eat tonight? Well, it's funny you should ask that, Peter, because uh, I live in Ottawa, and of course, there's a fantastic new Italian restaurant that has put together a wonderful menu of things that you can just heat and eat at home. It's called Gia Cantina. You better and give the full disclosure. Become, <laughs> you've actually just become a partner with me and a few other people in this uh, in this adventure that we're undertaking in the middle, uh, maybe hopefully we're past the middle of a pandemic, which, you know, some people stop me and said, it's an odd time to open up a business like this. <laughs> but of course, we're not really doing in-store feeding or in-house feeding now, but we are preparing some amazing meals and I'll be getting some of that. And uh, too bad you won't because you're too far away. But <laughs> thank you for asking. Yeah. You know, the one thing this uh, podcast has, uh, has prided itself since it began is it doesn't have a sponsor and it still doesn't have a sponsor. However, we, because of our personal interests, are sponsoring. You better give the full name uh, once again. It's Gia. It's Gia Cantina on Bank Street in the Glebe where you grew up and where I lived for many years and yep. uh, where I have lots of friends. All right. So I feel not guilty at all and I'm pointing you in that direction if you live in that area. Anyway, listen, Bruce, this has been great. It's going to be fun watching tonight. I mean, here's our plan. I mean, if this thing somehow resolves itself early in the evening and we're not stuffed full of great food and, you know, the odd whiskey or a glass of wine, uh, we may try and do something uh, later tonight and put it out there so you have something to listen to in the morning. Um, I wouldn't bet heavily on that, uh, that option, but it, it is an option. If not, we'll definitely be around, uh, tomorrow with the, with the postmortem on, on all this. So Bruce, thanks very much. Have, uh, you know, ha have a good time tonight watching all this unfold. I'm sure we'll talk at some point during the evening 
but thanks for this great insight as always. Yeah, thank you, Peter. Great to talk to you again soon. All right, that's it for the uh, Race Next Door special in the Bridge Daily for this day. Mm-hmm.